All right, everybody, welcome back. Latest Mountain West Wire podcast. Check us out, as always, mwwire.com. We'll get right into it. Jeremy Moss here with Matt Kennerly. And first off, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I saw you lost a bet, so you're going to the game on Saturday or Friday, whenever Yeah, it Yeah, I had made a bet before the season that Fresno State would – It was there were two conditions, that Fresno State would win six games – and that they would um, finish at least second in the division, and so I bet I bet that neither of things would happen. Well, it was fifty dollars. Oh, so you lose fifty bucks and have to go to the game? No, no, no. He said in lieu of the fifty dollars, he just wanted me to go to the game instead. So he 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 showed a little mercy on me. I think that's very nice of him. But I mean, I think uh, I think I would take that trade off. Yeah. So yeah, for those of what we're talking about, Fresno State by virtue of beating Wyoming. 13 to 7. Uh, wait, it was 13 to 7, right? Or 13. Yeah. 13 it was to 7. 13 to 7, yes. I think it's 6 of the game, another game. They win the West Division. Boise wins the Mountainside Division, and they play this week and the week after. So, yay. <laughs> so, hate week is two weeks this this time around. <clears throat> yeah, so we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll talk about matchups and a few. I, I have a tweak of what could. Well, I guess we'll talk about it now, but for those who like us on Twitter, we begin a lot of Twitter likes, follows. Uh, thank you for that. We passed well past 1,100, so that's awesome to hear. Or see, actually. Mm-hmm. And Facebook, uh, we'll get there eventually, right? Yeah, at some point. And once I have some more free time, I may post a few other items, but we got a lot of people checking us out. A few records this week, so thank you for that, because we're rebuilding uh, something that um, is going pretty well. And we got also real quick. I'm recording two tonight, so if you like football, thank you for listening. If you like basketball, we got a basketball show later today on Sunday with me and Eli talking about some hoops. So make sure to ch- check your feed when you hit play. You're on the right one. If you want football, it'll be labeled. If you want basketball, it'll be labeled. So, and also give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, blog t- we're on Block Talk Radio. Where else are we at? Spree- we're on Spreaker now. That's pretty cool, right? I've never even heard of that. It's basically a SoundCloud clone. So the player's um, nicer, and there's an app you can use on Android because still a lot of people use uh, Apple Podcasts or iPhones or whatever. But I used to use it for uh, work and other job, and it's works pretty well. Really well, actually. It's just like SoundCloud, but it's a Spreaker. And so if you want a different Android app that's not Stitcher or you don't have your own Pocket Cast or whatever podcast app you use, go to Stitcher. Or, I mean, go to – sorry, go to Spreaker. It'll help us out. So You know what we should do at some point? We should figure out how to get on Spotify as well. I think it's invite only, but I need to look into that. I will definitely see if we have enough pull to get to Spotify. Because Spotify is where all the kids stream their music from these days, I think. That's what I've heard, so I guess we'll go with that. <laughs> so yeah, that's where you can anyway. find us. Let's get to it. Really quick, Um, we got uh, – well, not really quick. We'll make it about an hour normal. We'll get to football here. We'll talk about all the games this past week. We'll talk about some bull scenarios because there's a chart that – our flow chart I never knew existed until today, but apparently you pointed out to me, Matt. It's been there all season long. Well, I didn't realize it had been on there all season long. I first saw it from uh, Kelly Lytle out there in Colorado. Um, he was the one who first posted it, and I just kind of picked it up from there. But yeah, apparently it's been on the Mountain West's official website since June, I believe. Yeah, that would have been helpful with my picks. That sometimes I take a stab in the dark for bull protections. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Live and learn. Yeah, it's on the website now. We'll get to bull stuff, too. Could be seven bull-eligible teams. But let's, uh, let's get to games. Let's start Friday night where... If you like rushing offense, you boy, you're in for a treat. UNLV taking on uh, New Mexico, and Rebels are now five and six after winning that game 38-35. Uh, really quick, uh, Lamar Jordan, only quarterback to play. 
And when me and Brady preview this game, we're like, keep the passing to a minimum. Maybe they listened because Lamar Jordan only threw four times. However, no completions and interception, but still only four throws. Imagine had he thrown 16 times, how bad it could have been. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and of course the interception was was the, the play that basically sealed it for UNLV. So when you really think about it, he really only threw it three times before he absolutely had to exactly. down the stretch. And I mean, this is more or less the New Mexico that we were seeing all of last year, in which you know, where were with they? all the offensive, with all of the well, I mean, yeah, because you know you've got first of all three guys going over a hundred yards rushing, you know, all three of them averaging at least eight and a half yards carry. I'm talking about um, Tyrone Owens, Daryl Chestnut, Lamar Jordan. And, you know, the explosive offense that we all came to know and love. Do you realize just how many 10-yard runs they had on Friday night? Too many to count. What? Uh, let me 18. guess. 18. Oh, I was going to say like 15. Eight. That sounds about right because look at this. Even like Romel Jordan had eight for 43 and a touchdown. There, there's no Every player seemed to get a huge 10-plus-yard play every single time against this Rebel defense. And I don't know if it's a little bit for the UNLV defense of not being – really that good stopping the run but there's been worse rush defenses that new mexico has gone up against and hasn't performed this well and maybe one thing to consider maybe lamar jordan's 100 percent healthy because he was the only quarterback that played and i believe this is what his first what first time all year maybe second time i'll look it up in a second but he hasn't rushed for over 100 yards all that often this season mm-hmm. yeah and i mean and not only that you know while yeah, it's probably not great that they're giving up seven and a half yards per play to UNLV. Nope. You know, we we saw this defense make a few plays here and there. Like we've we've talked, uh, you know, sometimes about how UNLV has really struggled to cash in sometimes when it, when they get in or near the red zone and things like that. So I mean, yeah, the final score was only by three points, but. You know, you have to give a little bit of credit to this defense because, you know, the very first drive that UNLV came out with, they started at their own 25, they got to the 23, and they, they only managed a field goal from there. And there were three different instances where they got within the 23-yard line, so I can't necessarily say, like, red zone per se. Close enough. But, you know, we, <clears throat> but, you know we've talked about it all the way back at the beginning of the year with the Howard game. We talked about it a little bit with the Fresno State game. Like, can UNLV finish drives consistently? And, you know, I think in this particular instance, there was a little bit of yes and no, because not only did New Mexico hold them a few times out of the end zone, but, you know, the the pass rush finally showed up after a long absence. You know, they ended up with five sacks and you got you get someone like C.D. Tamayvena, who had a sack, you know, Eva Hello to Tohi had a sack and a half. You know, you were seeing them get a kind of a degree of defensive effectiveness that was often missing in action in a lot of weeks. And so I think it's a credit to them that, you know, yes, they did give up a lot of yards on the ground. They were very bend and don't break in a lot of respects, but, you know, but for one or two more plays, this could have been a whole different game where it wasn't even that close. Yeah, for sure. Cause also like seven um, TFLs, a couple of QB hurries and also one surprising factor me, Brandon, everybody else figured uh, Johnny Stanton was going to get to start and play play this entire game and Rodgers would come in as needed. This was, I believe this was his best game of the year, I'm pretty sure. 
200 yard, 211 yards TD, rushed for 193, long of 83, had that huge throw after the interception to set up the game winner to get to get the Absolutely. victory. And he, he's throwing on dimes. He's hitting everybody. Who is it? Woods had 100-plus yards this year, throwing the ball or receiving the ball with the touchdown. This was his game where he – like he's accurate in this game. More accurate than he's been. 13 and 25, that's – Okay, it's not amazing, but it was just outside of I think uh, the Idaho game where he went ten to sixteen or eleven to sixteen for San Jose State. He's he's right about his most accurate game. He had a couple, well, a little bit better, but it's one of his more accurate games. He's going under forty five percent for the past four or five games. He's splitting time or not throwing much. So rushing was a was a career high. Throwing was a outside the Howard game a career high. So this is by far didn't turn the ball over, which is a big deal for him because he's had a couple picks here and there. If this is the guy they're going to have next year going forward, I know it takes some time because you're a redshirt freshman. you got to feel, the, feel how it is playing for your first FBS season. But he's back next year, not to look too far ahead, but he, maybe he's figured it out and he's healthy after that concussion a couple weeks ago because he was getting it done and he was the playmaker. And, yeah, Rebel defense wasn't great because look at the 482 yards on the ground. They gave up as well, but yeah. they made, like I said, at the end of the game, it was back and forth the whole time. Rebels got ahead 10-0. For 24-14, they let New Mexico back in there. but And they had um, two field goals, which was, like you mentioned, a little kind of concerning where they got to fourth and goal at the five in the second half. And that first one, they maybe Rebels could have won and they punched it in easier. But then they came up big with the interception late in the game. And that sealed the game after the um, was it 40-second left touchdown. Defense came up when they had to. And Lobos played their best game. But, again, it's like their defense did okay. But – they still gave up too many big plays, I guess, especially late in the game. They couldn't make that stop because they're winning with – they scored the right time, just under, what, two minutes left in the game, if that. Rodgers came up big, and that was basically how it ended there. They Mexico did what they had to do to win the game. They just made – like, they hold two field go- a couple field goals deep in the ter- own territory against Rebels. They gave, they gave a lot of rushing yards, but, like, when it counted, they made some big plays, but it was – just that pick that really did them in and got to stop Rebels offense somehow for you to win. But offensively, best game for the Mexico as well, I'd say all year. Yeah. And I mean, with regards to Rogers, especially, I think this is the kind of game where like, if you're a Rebels fan, this, you know, the, especially like the last, you know, minute drive is what really gets you excited for this team's future. But I mean, I think it is worth noting that, you know, there was a little bit of a lull, in, in the middle of the game because he started a five of seven and that was when he had, you know, three big plays of more than 15 yards. But then kind of until that last drive, he was a little bit off um, before he finally hit those last three passes on that last drive to get the game winning touchdown. And, you know, he was only two of six on third downs. You know, they put themselves into a lot of third and long situations where especially, you know, late in the game, it didn't do them any. It didn't do them any good to you know be third and twelve, third and ten, and then just not be able to convert those situations. And you know, he did have a fumble that he almost gave away early in the first quarter before they you know punted away on a third and long as well. So yeah, there are some positives, but you know, he's still learning. He's still a redshirt freshman. But like you said, this is probably his best game since the San Jose State game. And, you know, I think we knew, we knew he was going to be a weapon coming into the year. Let's not forget he also had 193 yards rushing as well. So, 
you know, that's the kind of yep. 25. That's all yeah, the carries exactly. are 25. Man. And that's, you know, not including the sack yardage that you took. So, I mean, I think it sets up for what is going to be a really fascinating battle for the Fremont Cannon next week, you know, because there's, you know, the trophy on the line, there's state pride on the line, bowl game on the line for UNLV. Bowl eligibility. Okay, yeah, let's put it that way, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's going to be a really interesting game, but I think, you, you know, we've seen flashes of what this team could become in the long run, and I think that on the whole, this game was kind of a demonstration of that. And just real quick before we move on, like next year they bring back, like offensively, like like said Thomas, Charles Williams should be healthy back next year. Obviously Rodgers, uh, Woods Jr., you have Kendall Keys coming back. Devontae Boyd's like the only key outside of me looking at the offensive line really quick. He's like the only key player gone from next year. And they have also Xavier Campbell as well. So he's going to be a running game is going to be pretty deadly next year. As well, because, uh, yeah, Campbell's a junior. He should get some more carries. And assuming Williams comes back healthy, offense, they just got to find next year. They got, got not to look ahead, but they got to find some defense. But, man, their offense could be one of the most scariest ones in the conference next year. And that'll be pretty fun to watch. Maybe they're back to being um, – or not being back, but being a really good team. And really quick offensive line, um, they do they will lose three um, – just two, two seniors, which is kind of a big deal. But they'll have most of the guys back on that line. So – Sky's up, right? Move forward, doing well. Next year could be a – maybe next year is the year they challenge for the West because technically coming in into this game, they needed help, but they were on – they could have won the division title had things gone their way from Saturday. But five and six, um, not – shouldn't be laughing too hard because a few people were saying, oh, they still can get a bowl game after losing to Howard. But – and one quick note real quick before we move on. Me and Brandon, like, looked at their schedule. They could have been – like, okay, you beat Howard as you should have beaten Howard. They were very close to being Air Force and Utah State with big leads. And some of those to BYU, they could have been 8-2 and two coming into this game. If you can look at scenarios where not a blowout. Like, Howard should have won. Had a lead versus Air Force. Had a lead versus Utah State despite the blowout. BYU probably should have beaten them. But they could have been like 8-2 heading into this game. But they weren't, and it happens. And maybe that will be what they learned for next year. Not to yeah. give up those big leads they have. Let's do it. All right, so we get to Saturday. Let's start with Hawaii, Utah State. Um, as everybody's mentioned, um, Hawaii has not been the same since they lost to John Ursua. They've been pretty bad, to be clear. But they all this is a low for them. Not that Badger put down what Utah State did, winning 38-0, but Hawaii's played terrible this game, and they had no offense. And they found no receivers like, yeah, Dylan Colley, um, other guys out there. Nobody's stepping up for John Osura, and they get shut out, and they went to a couple quarterback situation to see what they had after Drew Brown late in the game. I mean, I think that, you know, one of our Utah State readers, I, I forget the, the handle off the top of my head, but they made a really interesting point about Utah State, and in particular their defense, about how when you look back at the season as a whole, They've basically, you know, beaten the teams that, you know, when you really look at them, they probably should have beaten. And they really got kind of mauled, I think, by the by the teams that we all presumed were a little bit better than them. And I think that that really bears out because, you know, one of the things I thought was really interesting, and I went and looked up the splits on this, in 
in games that they in the five games that they lost against teams with winning records, they've given up six point three five yards per play. And in the five games against teams they've played that are five hundred or worse, they've only given up four point four. Which I thought was really interesting, and it, it I didn't realize it, and you know, until this game was more than half over, and then you look at what Hawaii was able to do on offense, and they're sitting there at three point nine yards per play. So, you know, I think that there's, I think it says something really interesting about the defense that, like, yeah, maybe it's, uh, you know, they're going to be losing a couple of key pieces like Jalen Davis, who you know had a pretty good game himself. He had a sack and. He had four pass breakups. I didn't realize it was that many. Um, you know, Dallin Levitt had himself a pretty good game, and Gage Ferguson, I believe, had the forced fumble that prevented Hawaii from scoring late in the game. So, you know, I think it was an all-around team effort for a defense that is maybe kind of coming into its own a little bit. Because, you know, if you're a team that's kind of bottoming out and maybe trying to claw your way back up into contention you know it maybe has to start with that you know just beat the teams that you know you can beat and when you look at what hawaii was able to do on offense like they you know st juiced was fine you know he did have 122 yards but his longest run was only 21 yards and he only averaged about four and a half yards per carry which i think if you're a utah state fan is a huge win and, you know, more importantly, they kept the Hawaii passing game pretty much in check all afternoon long. You know, they did have a couple of, you know, big chunk plays. But, you know, Drew Brown only had 128 yards through the air. And I'm trying to figure out what the math is on um, what the yards per attempt was on that. Needless to say, it's just not very good. For five? Me. Not even five? Yeah, something like that. So, I mean, I think you have to give a lot of credit to the defense for really stepping up in a situation where, you know, Hawaii's been reeling and you want to keep it that way. And that, you know, on the whole, you know, it's more or less what they did. They had four sacks as a team, seven tackles for loss. It's really hard to find a lot to complain about there. Yeah. the, uh, the And then even going to offense real quick, we've been wondering who's going to step up with Juan Hunt. Finally did so on senior day there at Maverick Stadium. Had 111 yards, a uh, couple reception, TD, 13 attempts. It's still, yeah, you got the 48 yarders to take – if you kind of take that away to get a better look, it's still 12 for what 65. That's okay. But then you have guys like a big plays like Gerald Bright. They had a lot of big running plays, 60 yard touchdown run. Kent, Kent Myers uh, had a 25 yard run. They had a, plenty of double digit runs. Jordan Love had 47 on the ground. Passing, Jordan Love did okay, 9 of 14, touchdown and a pick. Myers came in for a little bit late with the TD, or came in throughout. Sorry, I only saw a little bit, but came in for a TD next to split guys. But it's, it's just a, this is like, it's kind of where it's like an ugly 38-0 victory because it's not like the offense did anything amazing for Utah State. I guess running pretty well, 300-plus yards is really good, but it was just kind of, I don't know, it just seemed a little bit odd. Kind of, if you could just look at the box score, oh, they only threw for 164 yards. They ran for 300. They got their turnovers like they like to do in this game. And then the PBUs, like Jalen Davis, like, is he going to be like an All-American defensive back somehow, first, second, or third team perhaps for what he's been doing this year? However many touchdowns he has, pass breakups, interception, he's – one of the best DBs in the country. I mean, I think I think the numbers are skewed a little bit just because they eased off, especially in the second half. You know, if you look at what they did, you know, 5 of 11 on third downs doesn't really seem all that impressive. But, you know, when you look at what they did, they were basically five for their first seven. And then they didn't really need to kind of keep the pedal down after that. 
you know, they were putting themselves in really good positions to succeed, especially early in the game. You know, it was third and six, third and one, third and four, which happens to be where Bright had his 60-yard touchdown. You know, third and three, third and two. So, you know, they were they were able to stay on schedule in a way that we haven't always seen the offense be able to do this season. And so, you know, it may not seem like they did all that. It may seem ugly in some respects, but I think that, you know, maybe they tapped the brakes a little bit in the second half. But even then, you know, they still scored 17 points after halftime. So you tell me. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I just, um, I just kind of ended up watching this game. They're a big, so I was really paying super close attention. But I can be right after rotating guys in there with their lead. And they, again, they scored 14 in third quarter, but. I, I figured, I guess my guess think is like, oh, you scored 38 points, your offense should have been better, but they ran the ball very well. And this is, I can't knock that because the running game has been an issue all year long. And they broke out the big plays. They had, what, three, at least three plays over 25 yards. So they won. They're now ball eligible since six and five. They have one game left to end the season. They go two Air Force, which will be tricky, but I assume six wins, they'll be fine going to a bowl game. But Hawaii, it's just kind of weird, like, how big a. It's not like, okay, John Ursula, like, don't get, get me wrong, amazing player. What If he stayed healthy, he'd be right there with Michael Gallup as the best receiver in the league, him and Devontae Boyd. Up there as well, the top top five at worst, probably top three in the league. It's weird how a wide receiver, maybe there's more issues that we're not seeing or not paying close enough attention to, but losing a wide receiver and your team's kind of nosedive seems kind of weird because it takes a lot to get a receiver the ball. I think what it is is they just haven't established any threats outside the numbers. You know, Dylan Colley is out there. He's basically playing the same position in the slot that Ursua did. And, you know, if you if you look at the not only the, the catches that he had, he didn't lead the team in catches, but look at the targets that he had as well. You know, he had 14 targets and nobody else on the team had more than five. And the guys that they do have on the outside, and I'm thinking most specifically about Keelani Waliko and Amon Barker, yeah, they had nine targets between them, but they basically had zero big plays. Like, they weren't stretching the field, I think, in a way that you, you were maybe accustomed to them doing in years past. Like, they don't have a guy who is analogous to Marcus Kemp at this point, who could, you know, be a really explosive threat down the field, you know, side, on, on one sideline or another. So... I don't know if that's something they need to address in recruiting or, you know, in something in the play calling or things like that, because, you know, we knew Orsu as a keeper, and I think Dylan Colley probably is as well. But, you know, they're going to have to use the finale against BYU, I think, to really kind of sort out, you know, which of these guys is going to be, a, be able, is going to be able to be a big contributor going into 2018, because I'm not sure that any of them are necessarily guaranteed to have a starting role next year. I believe Barker's graduating. Iwaliko is at a minimum is coming back. And, you know, from there, you know, I would kind of expect to see maybe one or two more receivers. We haven't seen a lot of this year. We will see. All right, let's move on to the next one here. The big game of the day that kind of took everything, took care of business was Fresno State 13, Wyoming 7. So this matchup, as we know, is a pretty big deal because Josh Allen, Heading into the game, I didn't think he'd play because mentioned the AC joint. If you uh, people were stalking his mom's Facebook page, to kind of know what's going on. So he was out. I, it was hard for him to see him play with that throwing shoulder. But Fresno won 13-7. Kind of an ugly game. I guess not ugly, but low point. Defensive game, I should say. Because 
and rushing. Rush, I, I think you could. I think it's safe to say rushing game was uh, left a lot to be desired for both teams in this matchup. Well, I mean, yes and no because we knew coming in that these two teams were one and two as far as yards per play or yards per allowed on the ground. You know, so I wasn't necessarily surprised that neither team was able to really generate much momentum with the running game. You know, Fresno obviously you know took care of business a little bit late. Like I was really pleased that especially late in the game, even if they weren't necessarily moving the ball, they were sticking with the running game to keep taking time off the clock and putting pressure on Bull to kind of manage the time that he had. So, you know, you look at Josh Hokett with his 21 yard or 21 attempts rather and his 69 yards. I mean, it's nice, but (laughs) that was a joke. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, I'm not, overly concerned about it or anything like that because that Wyoming front is really good you know like they didn't really get a lot of pressure on McMarion throughout the day but you know they kept the running game in check like they we knew going in they weren't going to be a very explosive running attack and that was more or less kind of what you saw in this game it was really kind of back and forth you know who's going to blink first or rather who's going to make a mistake first and when I look at the course of this game you know, on one hand, they were up 13 nothing basically until the last five minutes of the game. So for three and a half quarters, 13 nothing felt more like 30 to nothing. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that Wyoming was the team that blinked first. And all it really came down to, in my opinion, was the muffed punt that Austin Conway had. Because one play later, they go to the end zone, they get the only touchdown they need from Ronnie Rivers, and they let the defense kind of carry the day from there. Yeah, there's there's that that's a big play to that punt, but also um, one other key play early in the game. Wyoming goes for the fourth and one. They're too far for field. We're not going to punt. They don't get that first down. It didn't lead to anything really because, um, well, I guess it did because there was a punt. They got it back with the one I'm referring to, but that could have really changed the game if you think about it. Where had they got anything out of their field goal, that that punt that was recovered by Fresno may have never happened. Who knows? But not a lot of what is, but like there's a couple spots where, yeah, the muff punts are huge, could get them first touchdown to be up 10 0. But had Wyoming got the first down, maybe they kick a field goal, something's a little different because it's points were at a premium in this game. That could have made a difference. And the fumble, or excuse me, not Hawaii, Wyoming had in the first half really didn't amount to anything to where it was at in the field because Fresno didn't score. And then the other, um, but that was only two, I guess, um, the muff punts considered a fumble there. Well, that, so, that Drew Van Manen fumble that you mentioned was basically the other big play in this game because Wyoming was threatening right before halftime you know to that point they had I had, guess so yeah they're pretty close yeah I didn't realize the yard yeah, never mind but yeah that's they had the month and been... then they had four three and outs and in, in six previous drives so you oh, know geez. they they moved the ball 65 yards in about a minute I believe and you know, Drew Man to give him credit, Van Manen made a really good catch. And then oh, yeah. Jaron Bryant's helmet was just in the right place at the right time because the ball came popped right out, right into Jeffrey Allison's hands. So, you know, you look at the drive chart after that, and it's a credit to how well the Fresno State defense played because coming out of halftime, you know, three and out, three and out, three and out, four play drive, mixed it yep. up a little bit, and then three and out until they finally started, you know, putting together a couple of last-ditch drives. So, you know, while on the Well, then the whole, final play where Fresno came up big with a sack. Yeah, that too. 
I mean, so, by the game. so while you look at the, you know, the total stat sheet and you see that Wyoming actually outgained Fresno on a per play basis, it was, you know, five to 4.9. So it was like a really minimal thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you look at what the stat sheet looked like through three quarters, like it really wasn't close, you know, well, and also Fresno third down's a big deal. Look at the third down situations, man. Exactly. Two of 14 for Wyoming. Fresno was okay. Six of 18. That's what, 33%. That's okay. But two of 14, that's, you can't win games like that. And basically, just people are saying, well, if Josh Allen would have played, would it have made a difference? I don't know. Because a couple spots where it might have made a difference on that fourth and one where they don't get it, maybe he would have ran the ball and got the first down instead of turning it over on downs deep in the territory. But then, like, I, I put it out there on Twitter and stuff that the passing game by Nick Smith. Second most passing yards outside of playing the FCS team in Gardner-Webb. Third best completion percentage by a Wyoming quarterback in no pick. So, throwing-wise, Nick Smith probably played as good or maybe even better than Josh Allen would have played. I think where Allen would have maybe made a difference that he would have got maybe 30 rushing yards, maybe got a first down here or there, getting those when it's third and short, like third and less than four, or fourth and less than four, he'd got those yards. But I don't know if it would have made that much of a difference. As I mentioned, the passing game was one of their better performances of the year. And who knows what Smith would, or yeah, sorry, Allen would have done, maybe run the ball. But what did you think it would have mattered had Josh Allen been healthy and played? Honestly, no. Because, you know, I feel like Nick Smith's performance is another one of those things that's really deceptive because of just how the game shook out. You know, because again, through three quarters in this game, Hawaii's offense was basically dead on arrival. And a lot of that had to do with Nick Smith himself. You know, he was only 8 of 13, and he only had 78 yards through three quarters. So while he did end up over 200 yards on the entire day, a lot of that had to do with the fact that, you know, the defense was kind of letting them get chunks of yardage, you know, on those last two drives especially. Because he ended up with 153 yards in the fourth quarter. And that was a lot by necessity because they needed to throw. So... You know, was Josh Allen really going to make that much of a difference between? I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I you know, he might have made a difference on that one fourth down, but just the way that the, the game ultimately played out, you know, Wyoming still wasn't able to run the ball. Like they did even worse than Fresno State did running the ball. They only averaged two and a half, you know, 2.8 yards per carry. And Overstreet did have a couple of nice, you know, five, seven yard runs, but they didn't break any big runs. Nope. Was Josh Allen going to do anything about that? Like, were they going to bust out well, the quarterback draw like they did against Colorado State a couple weeks ago? Well, I don't know. The way I think where people are mentioned on Twitter and stuff, like, he would have got those hard yards. Like, we've seen him running, like, in the last year's title game, he dove for it on third and 10 after nobody's open. I'd say, like, he wouldn't have gone out for 50 yards, but maybe who knows if he would have taken yardage from Woods or Overstreet or even Austin Fort, who had a non touchdown reception, as you pointed out. Zero scores in the game, two of them. But. Maybe he would have gotten 20 yards and gotten that. Like I said, the one one or two areas where I see it is where that they went for it on fourth and short and didn't get it. Maybe they would have done a, a draw play and he would have got the first down there. There's still not many opportunities where it was third and very short. Like, would they have gone for it fourth and three throwing 36? No, they would have punted the ball away. Would they have gone for it on a fourth and two at midfield? Maybe. So there's a few spots where maybe they would have gone for it. We're down 13. Now I'm looking here. Where is this? Uh, I think third quarter here. Fourth and three. Fourth and two near midfield. They punt. Maybe they would have gone for it when they're down 13-0 and Allen would have given the opportunity to get a couple yards running the ball on like some sort of read op- read pass option play. Those are the areas where I could see him being beneficial. Maybe he would have gotten 20 yards, but who knows? Maybe he would have gotten two first downs and kept the ball longer. 
But that's about it, but it's hard to say. He didn't play clearly, so we don't know. But Fresno's defense is also very good. They probably There's a very good chance they could have knocked Allen at the first right before the first down line and not let him get those even though one, two, three yards. That's the one area where I think his throwing, sure, maybe he done as well as Nick Smith did, but I think his, uh, like people pointed out, his running, getting those couple yards could have made a difference, but he didn't play. It sucks, but I can't say definitively. Would he made a difference? Maybe, but with the Fresno defense as good as, good as it is, hard to say. So it's like kind of not pointless, but that's my point where the area where he could have made a difference was getting a couple yards on third and fourth and very short. Yeah. Yes. But then at the same time, you know, the average third down position that Wyoming found themselves in this game was slightly longer than the average third down for Fresno state. Like, you know, if you look at those numbers, it was like, you know, neither team was especially good at converting passing down situations, you know, third and long Fresno state was 0 of two and Wyoming was 0 of four maybe he could have helped a little bit on those third and shorts, you know, because if you're looking for one maybe minute difference in this game, that could be where it was because Wyoming was only one of six on third and four or less where, um, mm-hmm. where Fresno was four of seven. So maybe, but then I don't know if there were enough of those situations in this game where it would have made much of a difference because this was a game where, you know, I thought coming into it, which team is going to, one, sustain more drives, and two, be able to punch it into the end zone if they sustain those drives. All right, I got, I got an answer for you real quick. There were five opportunities, fourth and less than four. So, not sure they'd gone for in all of those, but there were at least five chances on fourth and, le- fourth and four or less. So that may have been the like the only difference we could have seen in that film going doing those situations. So, all right, looks like we need to take a quick timeout here, really quick. We'll get Matt back on. Apparently, got some uh, technical difficulties. Hey, we 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 tell it happens. We 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 keep it real. So um, yeah, take a quick a break. All right, so next game. Oh, actually, before we go next game, I mentioned we took a quick uh, break there. Which thank you for listening to whatever played there. So first note, let me ask you this, Matt. They're in the title game. One of ten, one to ten. How? What's your excitement level that they reached this for the first time since uh, was it 2014? I mean, it feels pretty good, <laughs> you know, going worst to first. And I'm I'm trying to remember the exact FBS record for a turnaround. If they win out, is that like the new record? Because I know why. I know Miami of Ohio once went double digit losses to double digit wins, but I don't know if going from one and 11 to potentially what 11 and three if they went out i don't think anybody's ever done that before. Uh, really quick i have i have the closest thing here hawaii okay owen 12 in 1998 mm-hmm. june jones first year whack champions went nine and four so that's a nine game turnaround it's pretty good so what would fresno won one game last year so that if they go they would exceed that if they go 11 and three yeah so i guess it would be a 10 win improvement so that that's probably that I just remember that because reading when our guy Ryan Swanson put up how Hawaii tried to sue the Mountain West when it first mm-hmm. formed, and so he had a little note in there how they went from when he got June Jones and got rid of Fran uh, Von Apen, Fred Von Apen. So that's that's almost the same scenario. If, if Fresno wins the title, that's kind of the most. What was to mind me Ohio when he mentioned it? Kind of the same scenario. Yeah, they were they, they went from two and ten, I believe, to ten and two. Okay. That was the year I think they. They either won the MAC title or they got to the MAC title game. 
trying to remember. Okay. So that works. So, yeah, there's a pretty – regardless, huge turnaround. So, we'll talk about the next game they play Boise State next week, which uh, there could be stuff on the line there. We'll get, I'll look into some computer rankings and stuff because real quick, head-to-head's not the uh, first tiebreaker, which is hard to believe, you would think. Basically, real quick, what is the whoever's the highest-rated team in the playoff poll gets home field. I get the point because they want to protect your best team, give them the best chance to get to the multi-million dollar bowl game. But the with the season ending the way it is, there's a chance. I'd, I'd have to look at the computer ratings because it's those ratings, then head-to-head, but they're never going to tie the computer ratings because computer ratings are not going to be a tie. You can fig- go as many decimal points over to figure it out. But there could be a chance where Fresno, loses, Fresno wins but still has to go on the road. And we'll get to that mm-hmm. later in the week because I think the – Somebody put, I think it was um, Dave Southern or something from the Idaho Statesman, cranked, cr- crunched the numbers before the, these results, and I think Boise was like 24 and Fresno was like 50. Yeah, something like that. And so that's weird. We'll see how that goes up. But also, you know how we can fix this really quick? To you want, Do you want to add more excitement to Mountain West football, Matt? Of course I do. More drama, more intrigue. I know the final weekend's technically rivalry weekend. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't really gone the case because, like, the, the bronze boots played earlier, earlier in the year. Why not play divisional games the final weekend? Because it gives you guarantee of zero back-to-back games for the title game like we're going to see this weekend. Plus, it could lead to a, a potential, like, a playing game to get to the title title game. That is the way they should do it. That would make more sense. And maybe one year, like last year, um, remember last year was a Boise Air Force, New Mexico, Wyoming, I think it was. Had it gone a certain way, the Lobos could have won the title with all these divisional games. I think that's what they should do going forward to avoid some sort of back-to-back game. How rare, even though it's very rare, maybe it's a knee-jerk reaction on my part, but there could be more intrigue by playing maybe a semifinal to get to the title game. Well, I forget who said it on Twitter, but I saw something that mentioned the fact that there was this particular scheduling quirk because of BYU. Uh, because of the fact that Hawaii, Hawaii had scheduled the Cougars for the season finale, so that the you know they they had to schedule some kind of interdivision. There was going to be at least one, yeah. And this happened to be the one. Oh, this is the only one too. I didn't realize that. I'm yeah. I think that's what, <laughs> that's what somebody. So if we want to look for someone to blame, just you know blame BYU. Uh, that's easy. That's easy enough for us to do, right? We can blame BYU for all the time. Exactly. Exactly my point. You're right, because Utah State Air Force, um, Wyoming. No, you got Wyoming San Jose State. You, you guaranteed two because of the way they play. Because if you have one, you have to have Oh, another. yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, But still. But I, I think that I think that's a reasonable thing to do. I get how BYU could throw a muck into things, but we'll figure it out. So we'll talk a bit more once we get to the Boise game here. Um, next game, what do you want, what, where do you want to go next year? San, I guess a two-minute recap of San Jose, Colorado State. So, yeah. I mean, at least they didn't give up 59 straight points this week like they did last week. There's that, yeah. They did give up 42 straight points, however. Not, not, or 35. Close enough. Not great defensive effort for the Spartans. Did you see, real quick, did you, I posted the highlights of the best plays from the week. Did you see what Malik Roberson did after his touchdown? I did not. He scored a touchdown, the, the second touchdown. He, it's a really great play. He goes untouched from 50 yards. So, great blocking. It's fourth quarter, so who knows what Rams players yeah, are yeah. probably rotating. 
But he goes basically goes untouched, dives at the one, gets kind of hit. So basically untouched for 50 yards. Great play. He starts dancing in the end zone to the San Jose State fans over there, like kicking his legs up. I'm like, dude, you're down four scores or something. Give it a break. I get you're excited, but come on. Really? <laughs> well, I mean, you got to take your you got to take your victories where you can find them in a season like this. Cause it seemed a little excessive for the type of celebration. I don't fault him for get, being happy, but it seemed to last a little bit too long for my taste. I mean, I think in this instance too, like it, it was, a, I think a little more competitive than it was, you know, in weeks past, because while the final score isn't necessarily pretty and while Montel Aaron's final line isn't necessarily pretty, like he was only 17 of 33 for 208 yards and interception. You know, there were several instances where his receivers really kind of let him down and that wasn't really something you've seen a lot of if you watched a lot of San Jose State football this year. Apologies. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think that he was necessarily helped in that regard, but he did spread the ball around in a way that he hasn't always this year. Like, I think of the 17 completions he had, he had eight different receivers catch at least one pass and six different receivers catch at least two. So I think that's a positive. And... You know, the fact that the running game did show a little bit of signs of life. Obviously, Malik Roberson's final numbers are skewed a little bit by the long run. You know, John Packer had a nice game. You know, he had 51 yards, but he averaged five yards of carry. So that's not too bad. You know, the defense, I think, when you're thinking about this team long term, you know, obviously they're going to be building around their linebackers. Because if you didn't know, Frank Ginda is now the Mountain West's all-time single-season leader in tackles. You know, he had a, another and, 11 and today, and he had a forced and fumble. So, you know, I'll just, you know, say the same thing I feel like I've said pretty much every week. Like, I think that there is some interesting talent on this team. But, you know, it's going to take a year or two for it to coalesce. You know, if you're Colorado State, how much can you really take away from this game? Because, you, you know, know you, can, you know, you can take away that they can beat up on bad teams, but can't beat good teams. Oh, he said I'll that, not it. me. You can send it to me, Jeremy Moss, on Twitter, Twitter if you want. It's true. Hey, everybody's been saying the past couple weeks they can't win a rivalry game. Rival, rival game. They can't beat good teams. Um, they blew a lead versus Boise State. What am I else gonna say? They get they gotta learn how to beat the good teams in the conference, and they haven't shown that in the past couple years with Mike Bobo. So, there's that. I mean, I think you were starting to see a little bit of what this team is going to look like in the future too, because while Dalen Dawkins did have over a hundred yards again, he's you know been pretty consistent all things considered throughout conference play but Rashad body had a couple of early touchdowns that were really nice he showed the potential to be kind of like that you know big closing back in short yarded situations Marvin Kinsey made an appearance he had a 36 yard run that was really nice and you know they you know even though Michael Gallup was fairly quiet on the day you were starting to see you know some other guys step up and contribute like Cameron Butler who's a freshman tight end led the team in catches yesterday. So I think on the whole, you kind of got the result that you wanted all around. You know, obviously they didn't cover the long, the big spread or anything like that, but when you're scoring 42 points, it's probably not that huge of a deal. Good point. All right, let's move on. We don't need to go get, get under this game anymore. Next one, let's go to uh, Air Force Boise State really quick. 44-19, Boise ends their three-game losing streak to the uh, Falcons, and it wasn't even close. 44-19, they... Uh, Held Air Force, like, numbers what we expect. They, first off, actually, let us let me not go too far forward. Air Force went back to a couple quarterback situations. Worthman, did he get hurt or something? Because I didn't see the beginning of the game. I saw a lot of Nate Romine. 
and I, I realized I didn't look it up before, but I thought he played. But uh, I had seen Brent Bergerman at the Colorado Springs that say that they had just made a switch. I didn't see anything about an injury. Yeah, I was going back and forth. I was watching this, the uh, San Diego State game. So I just noticed people freaking out about quarterback change. I'm like, oh, okay. But I mean, I why would they make a change? What's the point? I don't understand. He had zero running yard. Like, I'll look it up right now. It's something we should do pre show, but I didn't. He had no rushing yards, nothing, no attempts. And it wasn't even close. Like, Boise's defense, they had the strip for the scoop and score, pick six. Brett Rippin, good Brett Rippin, is back again. Three touchdowns, 300 yards for the second straight week. I think he eclipsed that mark. And yeah, it was a running game, wasn't very good. Madison only had 42 yards. This is all through the air and defense for Boise State to get the win. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're really looking at this game, it comes down to what happened in the first quarter. And the story is basically that Air Force killed themselves with fumbles. You know, yeah. Romine had a couple of really sloppy exchanges that Boise State was right there to pounce on. And, you know, when you're an Air Force team and all of a sudden you're down 17 to nothing, you can't necessarily do what you want to do. And... You know, while yeah, Marcus Bennett did have a nice game, he had three catches and he averaged 21 yards a catch, which, you know, if you're an Air Force receiver, that's pretty much what's expected. But, you know, the running game never had a chance to get going. You know, and Romine did have a 33-yard run, but he only had 54 yards on 16 carries. And, you know, a guy like Tim Vukovay, who we all, I thought, might be an X-factor in this game, seven carries, 30 yards you know they didn't mm. really have an opportunity to, to use him all that much but i think that's also a credit too to boise's defense because they basically you know shut down the offense and then dared them to throw and when you look at you know you know jabril frazier had a sack uh, coyote rufi had a sack um you know tyler horton had a couple tackles for loss things like that so pretty much, you know, every level of the offense or of the defense rather contributed to basically holding Air Force in check until it didn't really matter anymore. So just real quick clarification on um, Romine, just a game time decision. That's all it says. Mm-hmm. Which that's why you saw the bad snap exchanges because who knows how much Romine practiced this week with the first team guys. And if you fumble the ball, Air Force, like I said, Air Force isn't built to come back. They had to throw 12 times, I want to say, 10 to 13 total times going to their third stringer in Sanders, Isaiah Sanders. But give credit to Boise defense. Like, they finally shut down this triple option, which caused some issues. Only a couple of big plays. Like, Romine had that one big 33-yarder, but that was it. And Boise had short fields, but you got to give it to their passing game. And Air Force just um, can't be bowl eligible after the loss. And it's just uh, puzzling to – come out of nowhere that, oh, Worthman's not going to start for, doesn't say injury, just says it was a game-time decision. So I don't know the exact specifications as to why, but I would think that Worthman would be better suited to play quarterback versus Romine, as we've seen all year. It's reason he's a starter and came in last year, too. Well, I mean, I know that we, we I think the idea is that Romine's maybe a little bit of a better thrower than Worthman yeah. is. And he did have some successes, obviously, but, you know, like I said, it's just that they were down early. And, you know, also Romine has generally, in, in his history as a starter, been a little bit better at taking care of the football. I know we've talked in past previews about the fact that Worthman has fumbled the ball a lot this season. But, you know, ultimately, it kind of that choice ended up betraying him in the first quarter. And that was pretty much all she wrote. Anything else to add about this game besides Boise winning the uh, Mountain Division back for the title game for the first time in, what, three years? 
Uh, I can't think of anything to add, no. It's a rematch, 2014 rematch. That's so, true. That? And also, I like how the uh, minimal use of Cozart was implemented in this game. <laughs> That's true. I was going to bring it up. All right, final game of the day. This game was interesting. Even though the final score was pretty big, 42-23, Aztecs top Nevada. But this game was actually close through the half, and like Nevada was making me have to pay attention to this game. Not that I wasn't going to, but I wanted to watch Utah-Washington. I'm like, well, Nevada's keeping it close. I'll put that in the back burner. Watch the Utah. I guess I'm glad I missed what happened in the Utah-Washington game. Stupid timeout. But Nevada kept it close. They did their thing until um, this was basically the Rashad, Rashad Penny show. Who had, did you know, I, I looked for all the stats. Maybe I'm missing it, but this was his, you know that punt return he had for a touchdown? Mm-hmm. Not only I could find it was his first uh, punt return touchdown ever. I looked through CFB stats. This was his first, unless at least getting returned yardage, I would say. I don't know. Do they count fair catches on those if you just, if it's a fair catch? Do you, are you aware? I don't think they do now. Okay, so if that's correct, if fair catches don't count, this was his first career punt return ever in San Diego State. Oh, yeah, I saw that. I saw something to that effect as well. I was double-checking, like, that can't be right. First first career punt return, scores touchdown. Kickoff return, touchdown. 222 yards, two touchdowns. He said, better be in New York. That's all I got to say. Be. He broke Marshall Falk, who was in attendance, I believe, all-time single-game all-purpose yards. His 400-plus yards, I believe, at one point it was – because at, at the 830 mark, I think he got pulled from the game after that touch, whatever touchdown he had. He had four – what is it, four-something in that game. It was t- number nine national all, – all-time all-purpose yards in one game, yards from scrimmage, whatever mm-hmm. you want to – whatever yardage you want to count or consider – at, at at least tight ninth all time, but this game was was close for the first half. But he better, like you said, he better be at Heisman ceremony. I know he struggled versus Boise State and uh, one other game. I forget exactly which one it was. Fresno, I believe, didn't do great, but over three hundred total all-purpose yards in the year. Only player to do it, outpacing Shaquan Bark Barkley, outpacing any other running back. Bryce Love leads the nation in rushing yards. Is it? I know we'll get to the game, but. Would he be considered maybe even the front runner had they uh, beat Boise and Fresno and going to the Mountain West title game? I mean, I think he would definitely be in like the top two or top three. You know, I know there's a lot of talk around Baker Mayfield as being kind of the front runner at this point. Yeah. You know, and Bryce Love, who's obviously been like super explosive week in and week out and been a lot of fun to watch for Stanford. But I mean, I think that if they hadn't had that kind of midseason lull, yeah, absolutely. Because at that point, what San Diego's still ranked, probably probably ahead of UCF. And they're probably ahead of UCF. Yeah, like because you consider the, the kind of the overall strength. Like they're still getting votes in the top twenty-five. If I'm not mistaken, they are this week. They're pretty close. If they win next week, they probably should be ranked after the regular season. Yeah, so I can kind of see where Rashad Penny would definitely be in that argument because. You know, aside from those two games where he got shut down, he's basically made, been what has made this offense go more than just about any other single player in the country. Yeah, three straight 200-plus yard rushing games. Again, Hawaii, San Jose, Nevada, but he plays who you have. 200 versus Arizona State plus special teams play. 175 versus Stanford. His worst game was against the uh, – yeah, Boise 53, Fresno 68 yards there. So had he got a – he could be sitting at 2,000 yards he had, had he just had an average game against Boise and Fresno. Mm-hmm. So and then he, he receives the ball a little bit like punt return like the first one ever he's leads nation in rushing yards I think he's what first in rushing touchdowns as well or no sorry he got uh, 
FAU running back, but from what he does, man, like special teams and everything, it's like, how can he not be a finalist? I know Shaquan Barkley does that as well. He returns some kicks, but I think, what does he have, one touchdown, I want to say, maybe two? I'm not sure off the top of my head. I know he has at least one, but he's got to be there. But this game, like, Nevada did a pretty good job in the first half keeping it close. They scored just enough to lull you back in to watch the game because Ty Ganji, or if you watch the game, Ty um, Ganji, if you got, who was it, uh, Aaron Murray was saying? (laughs) Did you hear that at all? The Ganji? Yeah, that was funny. (laughs) 414 yards. There was no rushing game to be spoken of in this game for Nevada. Kelton Moore had what, 18 yards on 13 carries. Ganji, really quick, 33-54, 414 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. And um, hope you guys had Brendan O'Leary Orange on your fantasy team, 214 yards and three touchdowns. Jeez. Yeah, I think if he was in your starting lineup, you probably won for the week. Exactly. I thought it was really fascinating how they basically put the game in Ganji's hands and said, go win this game for us because like we've seen it before and we've seen kind of mixed results but in that first half you know he was he had san diego state's defense on the ropes a little bit because you know i think if you if you look at the numbers it really was a tale of two halves where you know before halftime he was 19 of 28 for 275 yards and two touchdowns, no turnovers or anything like that. So, like, he was playing really well in that first half, and they were moving the ball. To me, the real turning point in that game is they were down 21-17. Oh, yeah. And they have that fourth down play. No, no, it was 17-14. They were winning at that point. They were up. Oh, was it 17-14? Yeah. I thought they were down. No, nope. they were up. Go ahead. Continue with the magical play that ha- nearly happened. Okay, yeah, they were up. Okay. So... They're up 17-14. It's fourth down at midfield. And and they do this double pass that's like, it's a be- beautifully executed. End around, yeah. End around. And then just overthrew him. Andrew Sellis had him, wi- was it White Demps, I believe? No, no, it was somebody else. I forget. Another tight end. Wide open, beat the San Diego State defender, touchdown would have happened. That would have put it up. That would have made it uh, tw- like likely 24-14. Not a couple minutes left. Maybe San Diego State got a score or something, but had they converted that touchdown, not that they would have won, but they'd had a commanding lead. But then second half, really quick. Here's your drive chart. Five-play punt. Five-play punt. They get a touchdown. Great. Mm-hmm. Three-play punt. Three-play punt. Interception to end the game, which whatever game was over, essentially. But that could have – who knows? That could have made a difference for having them maybe win the game. But you have credit. Like, Ty Ganji, like I said it when the season started after the first couple games, there's no reason to pull him at all. Had they stuck with them, it maybe still would have maybe been one or two, maybe one or two. Maybe they beat Toledo somehow. Because I, wait, he played versus Toledo, but maybe they beat Idaho State for sure. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, it still would have been maybe one or two more wins max. Like they lose the Air Force by three with him, lose the CSU by two with him. Who knows? But he should have been the guy from the start and stayed there. I don't know what they're screwing around mixed with uh, Kamen and uh, who was it, David, David Cornwell. But mm-hmm. offense just. He would have to throw for 600 yards to win this game because second half, they had zero running attack. It's like there's nothing they could do. They had so many three and outs. The turnovers, fumbles, that led the points. Jeez. I mean, if we're being honest, they basically had zero running attack throughout. And, you know, like I said, it was a a tale of two halves for, you know, he was 19 and 28 in the first half. After halftime, though, he was only 14 of 27. 
that that's your ball game right yeah. there. He just wasn't able to move the chains as consistently as he was in the first half. That's about his average on the year, right around fifty percent. So it's not unheard of, but he I don't think he kept could have kept up that pace. But also, weren't there was there three special teams touchdowns in this game, or is it just the two? Uh, I believe it was just the two. Penny hundred yard kickoff return, and then the uh, twenty. They don't list it here. I guess it was just the two, but. Give credit also, man. Christian Chapman made some good throws to Mike Mika Holder there. Got a nice touchdown late in the game. His only touching uh, pass of the matchup. But mm-hmm. there's nothing to say. Like, Aztecs did what they had to do. That Nevada, they had to have some running game. And it's hard, special teams. You got to get in two touchdowns. That's how they beat, like, up on, who was it a couple years ago? Cincinnati and the Hawaii Bowl. They had, like, two or three special teams touchdowns. Uh-huh. That's how they're able to beat teams. And let me ask you this real quick. Because Rashard Penny was not a full-time special teams player. Is he still going to be special teams player of the year again? That is a really interesting question. Because you got the. I hadn't really considered that. Just because, real quick, um, we're done with the game, so we'll get into a little bit of nonsense here. But if you look at, you have a. I'm gonna pull up the numbers here really quick. Uh, is it um Avery Johnson or no? Is that the guy from Boise State? You're referring to Avery Williams. Yes, Avery. I'm sorry, Avery Johnson, the uh, current is he the Alabama basketball coach, I believe, former Spur guy with the super high voice. That guy. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking about. I mean, I think if yeah, I think he is. Pro- I mean, I don't know. Because Penny does have two kicks for, for touchdowns, and Williams does have two punt return touchdowns. But Penny's three overall. So there's that. Maybe I don't know. I feel like this is the kind of thing where you kind of choose your flavor. Which okay. one do you like more? We got Tyler Hall two uh, touchdowns, kickoff return. That's true. You got him. You have also I'm trying to pull up all purpose here real quick. See if we can get something different here. Um, I don't know. Um, Tyler Hall has not a ton of returns, but I don't know. I think it might be Penny. Maybe. Because if you lead the conference in touchdowns and it's kick and punt, I'll have to look at, I'll have to look at yardage everything overall. Because, like, even here's the thing you also have one guy who probably not could get it, but being the running, Elijah Lilly from New Mexico. He has a kick return for touchdown with and leads the conference in uh, kickoff return yards. But Penny leads the conference in average yards per return. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's basically a two man race between Williams and Penny, if we're being totally honest. You don't think it's going to be a Tyler Hall at all? No, I don't think so. Okay. He does average more. I guess I went by attempts, but kickoff return, if you go, um, I guess it goes by attempts. He only has a 12 compared mm-hmm. to a Penny who has um, 11. I don't know why he's not listed here. Oh, that's not 11. That's 14. It's one of those things where you sort by stats, but it gives you, you have to have at least, I guess, 13 or more to be considered yeah. for average. But Tyler Hall averaged 35 yards per kick return. Yeah, and just 12. 12 attempts, though. Yeah, but Penny has only 14. It's an interesting question. And they each have two touchdowns as well. So those guys are almost dead even. I, I get, I'm i guessing Penny because if you, if you lead the conference in special teams touchdowns, you're probably going to get it, and he has three. That makes, it makes the most sense. I guess we'll find out. That'll be – I wonder if any player in any conference has, has ever won three total special teams player of the year awards. If anybody happens to know the answer, let us know, of course. Did Jim Brown play special teams? I don't know. I'm just asking. <laughs> That's super, I don't know. That's a uh, thing. I don't know. All right. So uh, let's get to the bull stuff really quick. Okay. All right. Let's get bull there. I put up my bull prediction. You pointed out a little error or possibly not necessarily, not necessarily an error, but a nugget where I probably should have made a different choice. So here's how it goes. This um, chart, as I mentioned earlier in the show, has kind of been incognito on the mountainous website. It's, it's a flow chart. So here's how it goes. If you win the mountainous title, title 
you typically go to the playoff bowl game of your choice, not your choice, but wherever you get selected to, or you go to Las Vegas Bowl. What I did not realize mm-hmm. is that, and you mentioned the fine print, that you get preferential treatment if you're a division champion regardless of record. Is that correct? So that means regardless of whoever wins, whoever wins is going to Vegas. But whoever loses, you know, it says the divisional champion which loses in the football championship game shall receive consideration for bowl placement over the other remaining bowl eligible teams. Consideration. But I assume that that means that Fresno State will have better standing than someone like San Diego State or Wyoming, where even if those teams finish with eight or nine wins, you know, Fresno State still got to the championship game. And they beat both of those teams as well. Yeah, so they will be they will have a better potential for placement than anybody else would. And then here's how it goes for the rest of the bowl game. So the CAC, the reason we bring it up because the Cactus Bowl is an interesting slot where Boise State went last year, better pay, typically better mm-hmm. opponent or at least a better named opponent. So that's a possibility where I guess from what it's reading officially from the selection process, if a slot is open from the Big Twelve or Pac Twelve, Mountain West will be the primary backup mm-hmm. after the Vegas Bowl pick. And you're assuming so they're essentially the number two. If it's available. Yeah, that's what it seems like here. And we'll get to how it possibly could be available or maybe is available. Next okay. way it goes, you got a three-way tie. I kind of assumed the Idaho, Idaho Bowl is number two just because Hawaii Bowl either gets Hawaii or somebody else. And the Mexico Bowl is usually lower, but here's how it exactly reads number two selection. Uh, the conference office will collaborate with the bowl partners. Basically, we want the best opponent given the matchup, geography, and history. So my air was putting Colorado State back in the um, – well, it's not even listed here, but um, yeah, the Idaho Potato Bowl. That probably not probably not going to happen. So that's a little tweak on my part. I need to update for my next week projections. I've been doing these all year, so I've been bouncing around. So I wanted to mix it up. A See the thing, I, and I'll I'll tell the listeners what I told you earlier. It's that nobody's paying attention until right now. Yeah, but I get to, so you're I, able to get hey, away with it. True. Until right now, I appreciate that. I also get, but I also gain the traffic love early in the year for doing this every Sunday morning. So there you go. One of these had like 150 shares. So appreciate it. if you share on Facebook. Love it. Twitter, awesome. Google Plus, it's a share. We'll take it, right? <laughs> yes. All right, so that's how it goes. That's between New Mexico, Idaho, and Hawaii Bowl. With Hawaii out, it's a little whatever. It's I'm assuming the order is Idaho, Hawaii, and New Mexico. Because would you say that's fair, typically? Well, they don't – I mean, if you look on Wikipedia, if you look on the Mountain West website, like they don't give any official order. It's kind of a nebulous three, four, and five it just kind of depends on, you know, you know, looking at these other eligibility guidelines, some of the other things they consider are regular season conference record. And it says, with the stipulation that Mountain West records shall be considered directly comparable, even though teams may have played different opponents depending on crossover matchups for that season. So when we're talking about that tier of, you know, San Diego State in the West, I assume it probably means Wyoming and Colorado State in the mountain division, which is where you start getting into things where like, yes, Colorado state was in Idaho last year. So if they get selected for one of those three games, it's probably going to either be the Hawaii bowl or the New Mexico bowl. And though that's where those starts, those kinds of considerations start getting taken in. And but they, it doesn't really say who has priority. Sure. It just says they all kind of decide together. They want the best matchup. That's what the, they're just bar, bar, bargaining. Cause yeah, San Diego State was at the Hawaii Bowl a couple years ago, so maybe they don't want to go back because it's, it's pricey. However, yeah. if you go to the Hawaii Bowl, you're probably playing a team like University of Houston. Maybe the loser between Central Florida and Southern Florida, or maybe even Memphis. There's a chance mm-hmm. you play one of those four teams, and that's a decent matchup. 
And maybe I, I probably made another error as well because you see who I put for Hawaii Bowl? I didn't think about this. I put San Diego Houston. They played last year. Well, I mean, I'm sure Houston would want that rematch. Yeah, yeah for sure. I just mean the with the bowl. It's a new bowl, so maybe that that matters. May may make a difference, but. And then really quick, then the basically what we do know for sure. Here's what we know def, definitively. Typically, champion goes to Vegas. Last mm-hmm. the last bowl pick goes to the Arizona Bowl. Yes. And it's going to be a Sun Belt team. And I put really quick. I'm assuming UNLV is going to win next week. I put them versus App State, which could be interesting. And there's spoiler alert. Yeah, you know, whatever. It's, go read the article. Sorry, that's all. I gave, I've given away too much. Go click and read, please. Thank you. But then we have Utah State is eligible. So here's what we know: a couple things. Oh, I guess one last note, which I didn't realize. I thought people stuck stuck whoever in the Foster's Farm Bowl just because. But if a slot is open from the Big Ten or Pac-12, the Mountain West will be the primary backup in the Foster's Farm Bowl after all contracted bowls are fulfilled. So that's different than the Cactus Bowl because the Cactus Bowl could have a you get a pick before. Just say for some reason. The Mountain West gets four teams in the bowl. They're, they're passing, mm-hmm. but hypothetically, say there's only four teams available. The Cactus Bowl could get a pick in before the Arizona Bowl, if that were the case. That's what mm-hmm. that means. So Foster's Farm yes. Bowl means, which is going to be an option this year because Vegas Bowl, you have one, two, three, four, five bowls for the Mountain West, six eligible teams right now, potentially seven with UNLV. Yes. So Foster's Farm Bowl will be an option to pick up a six or seven team. Where I'm going is, um, and we'll get to your rooting thing in a minute, I'm picking the Frisco Bowl because... They list that here after the Arizona Bowl because um, depending on bowl-eligible teams, the Mountain West could be considered for a slot in the Frisco Bowl. B- I guess BYU, but they're out. But CSUA, Conference USA, and MAC. I'm predicting the Mountain West team to go there because it's at-large versus American team. And so that's option for, say, like a, a Utah State or maybe a, a UNLV or something could go there. Maybe, I, know, I think Wyoming and New Mexico Bowl makes a lot of sense too. But... I would say the Frisco Bowl would get in before the um, Foster's Farm Bowl. Unless, I know I'm getting in the weeds here. Would the uh, Let's look at Fresno State, Matt, real quick. Would the, who, would, who, who would rather want Fresno State, Cactus Bowl or Foster's Farm Bowl? See, that's a really interesting question because you're either talking about a Big 12 opponent or you're talking about a Pac-12 opponent, I think. Most likely, yeah, because Big 12 will probably will get the Cactus Bowl, but... Here's the thing, Foster's Farm Bowl is the last pick. Teams have to be picked before. That means everybody passes on Fresno to get them there. Mm. See, the only reason I think, and I wish I had prepared for this a little bit more, um, the only reason I think the Foster's Farm Bowl is more likely than the Frisco Bowl is because, you know, if you look at the map in particular, they only have four bowls that are, like, set for them. And they have three secondary agreements in the same way that the Mountain West has two. They have the Boca Raton Bowl, they have the Quick Lane Bowl, and then they have the Frisco Bowl. And really quick, six bowl-eligible teams at the moment as well. Yes. So my guess is that, you know, if the Frisco Bowl needs to fill a spot somehow, obviously BYU is not eligible. You know, the MAC is probably going to have one or two extra teams that they'll, you know, need to acquiesce to somehow. And then Conference USA, how many bowl teams do they have? They have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, with the potential for one, two, three more. So they could have as many as 11 bowl eligible teams, which to me, you know, somebody in some conference, it seems like, is going to get left out in the cold. So 
if the Mountain West has this fallback where they can send someone to the Foster Farms Bowl rather than the Frisco Bowl, I don't think anybody's going to be complaining about that. No, I'm not. I just I just Frisco because it's not large and the scenario is more wide open than the Foster's Farm Bowl. Yeah. I just feel like there's a more focused and doable path for a team to get to the Foster's Farms Bowl if, if need be. So what team would go there not worried about if they're playing Pac-12 or Big Ten? Like, So what would that be? That likely be like the last Mountain West team taken because all bowls have to be taken before them. And I could see Utah State go to the Foster's Farm Bowl or UNLV. Yeah, and that's where it starts getting really interesting because someone was asking me earlier what I thought the bowl picture would look like. Mm-hmm. And so I gave them like my first best guess. I have no idea if this will actually happen or not because I don't think this is how the politics would operate. But I off, offhand, I have Boise going to Vegas, I have Fresno going to the Cactus Bowl, mm-hmm. and then I have... You know, the Hawaii, the Idaho Potato, the New Mexico Bowl. I have Wyoming for the Hawaii Bowl. Okay. Utah State for the Potato Bowl. And New Mex- and Colorado State for the New Mexico Bowl. And then I have UNLV going to Arizona. And then San Diego State going to the Foster Farms Bowl. Because I think if it's possible, they oh, would want to get Oh, that's a good matchup. Yeah, San Diego State. Yeah, I think about them. But that would because be... Because I think if it was possible, they would want the Aztecs to have you know, a power five matchup because, you know, I think the ratings would be there and in state travel stadium would fill up more. Exactly. So let's get to who, how these, how these bowls could open up really quick. I looked at the big 12 and you did this as well for games, but really quick, basically to get to a big money bowl game, you're a top 11 team plus whoever the right now it's looking like UCF or USF or Memphis have a good shot to get there. Boise outside looking in, but it'll take a lot for them to get there at this point. So, Looking at who plays who, you have Wisconsin still has two games left. They're already playing Ohio State in the title game, Big Ten. They're probably going to win this week, whoever. I think they're playing some – whoever. They're, I looked at earlier. They're going to play in uh, Minnesota. They should beat Minnesota. should be a problem. So Wisconsin and Ohio State losers are going to be out of that top 12 or top 11 spot, uh, which means TCU sitting at 10. They play Baylor. They're going to be Baylor. It doesn't matter. They would move up. Mm-hmm. They're going to get in. So, And I'm assuming Oklahoma could get the playoff as well. Yes. It depends because you get – Clemson and stuff in there as well of how it's working out because uh, Wisconsin, not to go too deep, but Wisconsin's number five right now in the current playoff. There's still a lot left, even though it's two weeks. But let's say Oklahoma gets the playoffs because they're ele- they're twelve and one, and say Clemson, whatever Miami, Clemson play each other, so that's good knock. That's where it comes from. They're playing each other. So yeah, they're, they're, one of those teams is going to the playoff. One of those teams is yeah, going to the New York City. I forgot about them too. Most likely, but they're going to take the Orange Bowl bid as well. But it doesn't matter. They're still going to be in. You're right. Well, maybe it doesn't matter. I think all it really matters is that what what the Mountain West wants to get into the Cactables is the TCU to be in the top ten, mm-hmm. because then they're guaranteed a spot. Or I guess, I guess technically, or is um, I don't we won't get to that stuff. There's no reason to go any deeper than that. Basically, they want to they want to Oklahoma in the title game or playoff and TCU to be in the top ten. That means mm-hmm. uh, and this Cactables is like basically the last pick for the Mountain West or I mean the Big Twelve. So that means they'd play a Pac-12 team. And I've looked at deep who who it could be. It's not their last pick. It's like a middle pick kind of. So you could potentially see. Um, I, who knows if UCLA will take a bowl game because they're interim coach now and they're five and six. You could see Arizona State playing that Cactus Bowl game. You could see maybe Arizona if they lose to Arizona State, but they're both seven and five. You could see maybe Oregon if they're six and six, maybe Cal. But that's who you're looking at to play. 
or Colorado mm-hmm. or Utah, but they're probably going to Vegas Bowl, one of those two teams. So it'd be an okay Pac-12 team. Yeah, and I, mean, I think another thing that you're probably rooting for is you want Wisconsin to win the Big Ten because they're already 11-0, and but, you know, there are still the lingering questions about have they beaten anybody this year, et cetera, et cetera. So if they go to the title game and they lose to Ohio State, you know, that could throw a wrench into whatever plans, you know, a 6-6 six and six Mountain West team would have further on down the chain because I think at that point – you know, is the Big Ten going to have a team in the playoff? Because if two of those teams end up in the New York Six, then that kind of pushes everybody else down the line. So I think, you know, that's something you want to happen is you want Wyoming to win this weekend and then you want them to win the championship game. Um, because what that does is it eliminates Minnesota. Um, unless, you know, it, although I think they're one of the few teams that's getting like APR that could get APR consideration. Mm-hmm at five and seven because you know other than that from the big 10 the only teams that are still fighting for bowl eligibility are indiana and purdue and you know those two teams play each other this weekend so one of those teams is going to get out one of those teams is going to get to eligibility and remember and there's then, also one less bowl game too the point city bowl is gone yeah exactly and then you know in the pac 12 you know i don't think there's really any you know nobody's getting to the to the playoff from Pac-12 at this point. No. So I think you're probably just kind of hoping USC holds serve and beats whoever they face in the uh, in the Pac-12 game, which I think is probably Stanford at this point, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think it's decided. It's not decided yet. Well, did Sta- Stanford play Washington, right? Uh, let me double-check here really quick. Yeah, Stanford's sitting at 8-3, 7-2 in the conference overall. They um, play really quick on Stanford has... Uh, they're done. They still get Notre Dame this weekend. So they're done league play. Oh, okay. So and they hold on, did they beat Washington? Let me look real quick. They did. They lost Washington State but beat Washington. So right now Pac twelve you have a it's gonna come down to the Apple Cup. I think that winner gets in because they're Washington Washington State are both six and two. I think that's what yeah, it's so I think if you're if you're looking for the clearest possible path, you're probably just rooting for USC to win out and win the Pac twelve. And then, you know, down the line, you know, five and six you know, Cal, I believe they're at, uh, what did I say they're at? They're at UCLA. So that's a, you know, one of those teams is going to be out. Um, you know, Utah and Colorado are both a five and six. Mm-hmm. Are they playing each other? Yes, this they are. Apparently it's a rival. I've been told here in Utah, it's a rivalry game. Interesting. I've never heard that. <laughs> you're um, not the only one here. It's so, one. so, you know, you're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, so eight total teams from the Pac-12. One of those teams is going to be getting to the New Year's Six. And you'll get and two. Then, I think it's only they're only get one USC. That's what we want. That's what I mean. So they're they're going to get one, and then after or actually, that, they have, I don't think it matters because if USC loses, nobody's going to jump up high enough. They're not going to get another bid. They're going to be like fifteen or sixteen. Because Washington State is the closest it, team, so I don't think it matters. Whoever wins the Pac-12 is going to get the spot. USC is not getting one. If they lose into the title game, they'll drop too far. Yeah, so they have a to- okay, so they have a total of seven bowl bids that they need to fill. Actually, that might be problematic for the Mountain West. No, it's eight because have- the Rose Bowl is not considered. They're going to some other New Year's game this week this year. Oh, is it? Yeah, because that's a semifinal. So basically, if oh, okay, because I'm seeing it listed on Wikipedia as number one college football playoff, 
automatic birth to one of the New Year's Six games. Oh, maybe that's right. I'm not sure. But here, I think for what we're talking about here, it comes down to more of the Big 12 than Pac-12 because the Big 12 could have more eligible teams. Like you mentioned, who are the, what are the games you mentioned to look out for like to get bowl eligible? Because the more bowl eligible teams the Big 12 has, the, or I mean the fewer, is the better chance the Mountain West gets in there. Well, the only team that can't or that isn't bowl eligible yet that can get eligible is Texas Tech. So if you're looking for someone to root against this weekend, if you're like a UNLV fan kind of waiting for the Fremont Cannon battle or anything like that, Texas Tech is at Texas this week. So I think for the good of the conference, as gross as it might feel, we're all going to be Longhorns fans this weekend. I'm okay with that. I'm cool. You're okay. Well, I mean, you're a Texan, so that makes sense. Yeah, I, like I don't know. I feel kind of gross about it. <laughs> but what we want, basically, if you if you look on the schedule and you see a team that's five and six, Lose. just just root against that team this weekend. Let's just simplify it for everybody. Exactly. And uh, one last note: we're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, we also want uh, two Big Twelve teams in a Big Money Bowl game. That will help because yes. that takes away a spot. So let's just say Oklahoma and TCU are, uh, are gone because they're in the playoff or big money game. That's technically one bit if you think about it because they're going to go to a big money game anyways. So that means they mm-hmm. have uh, one, two, three, four, five teams, depending on what Texas Tech does, to fill seven spots. Yes. Or six spots. So that's what it comes comes down to. And really quick, one last quick note. You heard about Jim Mora being fired, correct? I did. Do you think there's any – I know their, their goal is Chip Kelly because they there's, there's a reason they're going to pay the $12 million, million buyout to Mora to try to get Chip Kelly. But I us take a quick look at uh, my good friend Steve Lawson over at Athlon. He put out eight names, including Craig Bull, Wyoming, Brian Harson, uh, Boise State. Um, any of those chances of maybe getting down there if they're not the first choice of uh, Chip Kelly? Well, um, I don't know. That's a really interesting... I mean, obviously, I would... If you're a Wyoming fan or a Boise fan, you would probably expect to hear their names in the rumor mill for the next ever handful of months at least yeah um i mean if you know gun to my head i really don't see either of those things happening so you know while it's you know interesting to speculate about i don't really feel like either of them are realistic what about do you have a fear of uh jeff tedford going somewhere after one year no i don't think so you don't think so no his bonus structure is pretty nice, so why would he go somewhere else almost? <laughs> exactly. They He's already got a really good contract. Was it four fifty already this year? Four hundred fifty thousand dollars? Well, I was I came across something where like like two or three years ago he was interested in the Oregon State job. Yeah. But and you know, now that the Oregon State job is open again, you still kinda of have to think to yourself, well, are they gonna be able to give him the same amount of money There's that, yeah. at this point, or are they gonna to want to? Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like he's got I feel like he's got it kind of made at this point, you know? Yeah, especially with how quickly he turned it around. He'll get that. Too much hassle otherwise. Uh, we'll, I don't know. We'll see. That would be a pain. But I just mentioned a few names out there that popped up. But I think that's our show. That's not thing. That is our show for tonight. We're going to wrap it up here. Uh, we've gone for a good, what you asked for, 80 minutes, I guess, is what our norm is, no matter how many games we have on the schedule. So you're welcome. <laughs> but uh, check us out. Again, MWR.com. Go to Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Spreaker now. Give us a review. Let us know. Listen. Share the show. Tell two friends you like the show. Maybe they'll enjoy it. And that's all I got for today. And as always, yeah, we're biased to get your team.